Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I'm sad to say if you do not subscribe to the Filmcast and leave a positive review, a part of humanity will be judged and hundreds of thousands will die. <laughs> I knew it. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. Knock, knock. I'd like to talk to you about your car's extended warranty package. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. What I have learned from movies is that nothing good happens in cabins. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> They're cursed. Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing M. Night Shyamalan's newest film, Knock at the Cabin, number one at the box office this weekend. M. Night's back, baby. It took uh, M. Night to, to knock Avatar out of that number one mm-hmm, spot. It's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty notable, actually. So yeah. brief, good for him. Uh, he actually, I don't know if you guys saw, M. Night acknowledged James Cameron in his tweet celebrating the number one. He's like, hey, uh, big fan of James Cameron. So happy to share, you know, the big, the, the, the box office with you, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, but he yeah. Said, he said, I see you at number two. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, knock at the cabinet. Like, yeah, go ahead. Jeff. Now that we've both made Avatar movies. <laughs> Oh my God! They both. Jeez, yeah. (laughs) Knock at the cabin made fourteen point two million dollars. Avatar: The Way of Water coming in at ten point eight this weekend. Still just a thirty-two percent drop for Avatar: The Way of Water, Uh, and that is its eighth weekend in the box office, making above ten million dollars per week. That's still really, really good. Um, Anyway, I still I gotta get my wife to the IMAX 3D to see that with me. It's been so hard to schedule yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know the time's ticking because I think Ant-Man's probably going to knock it out of there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, I noticed a little bit your your throat's a little hoarse today. Are you doing okay? It's money horse, Dave. Money horse. <laughs> uh, no, I have COVID. Um, I have COVID Aww. for the second time in my life, which makes me wonder, how many times am I going to have COVID in my lifetime? Mm, that's the question right is it once a year and some, something is ticked off at the end of our lifetimes i guess i don't know yeah I, I hope ultimately it's not that i mean you, you it's funny you say that davinder because uh it's almost a year exactly since mm-hmm. i had it the first time mm. um, it knows man well yeah. jeff we, we are really sorry to hear that we hope you feel better soon but yeah um uh, jeff's a real trooper for joining us today even though he has covid so thank you jeff for being here today um you could have sat this one out but we we had to hear your thoughts on Avatar: The Way of Water and Knock the Cabin today. I'm so, here. Uh, yeah. Excuse my potential brain fog. I mean, more than normal. My normal, normal brain fog yeah. Yeah, might be normal. accentuated. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. And find us on uh, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. Find us on TikTok at thefilmcast. Uh, follow us there. We're posting videos every single week these days. Uh, and today on the podcast, there's a lot of film news to discuss. There's like a bunch of film news items I wanted to get you guys to take on. So we're going to start with that. We're going to move into some of what we've been watching and then conclude with our in-depth review of Knock at the Cabin, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. All right. Before I get to any of that, though, folks, I have some advice for aspiring creators out there, mm. uh, which is you never know who's going to be listening. You never know who's going to be watching your stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and I think early on when we did this podcast, uh, when uh, no one listened to the podcast now, barely anyone listens. So it's slightly more than no one, but it's not that much right now. Uh, but early on in the podcast, I, you know, we would share our thoughts freely, unfiltered and uh, and so on. And uh, uh, it often happened that the director of the thing we were talking about would hear our thoughts on that thing. Um, and so I'm not saying I censor myself or am super filtered these days, but 
I think it's important to keep in mind anyone can be listening, right? Like uh, any well, director and any writer can be listening to what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's a good lesson. But I, I, I think moreover, it is that uh, people are human beings. Yes, and totally. And, you know, you're talking about human beings. You're not talking about sort of disembodied creators. There totally. are humans and humans can hear. Totally. Now, uh, we don't always live up to that standard. I don't always live up to that standard. You know, like sometimes I fail. I'm not saying I'm perfect. In fact, I often fail. So, but that is kind of what I aspire to. Um, That said, I think a week ago or so, uh, I described the TLC original series Milf Manor as one of the worst things I've ever seen and one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm. Fair. Very Mm. fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Because you undersold it. Because I was thinking, there is absolutely no one out there who could have possibly worked on MILF Manor who listens to the film cast. That was my rationale. Cut to two days later getting this email subject line, listener who worked on MILF Manor. <laughs> You're telling my, me that MILFs have... listen to this show? <laughs> we have a MILF audience? My, you have slandered my life's work. Yes. My heart sinking to the floor. <laughs> uh, when I got this email from, I, I will not even name the person, but they says quote they said um, that they worked on Milf Manor, uh, and they said quote I agree that Milf Manor is a horseman of the apocalypse, <laughs> but that said I actually think the show is fun in its own way. It might not be for you, and you might think it's bad, but the show did take a long time to put together, and there was was the result of scores of people of uh, uh, scores of people who put in a lot of effort, even if not every person quote unquote believed in the show. The final product is often shaped by the network executives who watch the shows and give notes that we, the actual workers have to figure out how to make the show in a way the network wants. It's not easy. I guess why I decided to write in is to point out something that I think is often overlooked when people talk about reality TV, and that is the creative forces behind the scenes. Many people who end up in production and post-production in reality are people who wanted to make great movies and art, but found a creative outlet in reality TV and stayed there. Uh, I know I wanted to be a film director, but for reasons I won't get into here, I fell into reality TV, and it actually is a creative, sometimes fun, often not very rewarding way to make a career in Hollywood. Um, I went to film school with a lot of people who started to try to make it in the industry and quickly left to work in different industries. I am proud that I have stuck it out in Hollywood and have a career to show for it, end quote. So yeah. anyway, I thought that was a, a great reminder and certainly a reminder to me that even if you're talking about MILF Manor, there's a lot of people who work hard on shows like mm-hmm. that. You know, even if they are shows that, uh, in my opinion, are harbingers of the end of our modern society. Yeah. So, I, I, absolutely, I mean, you you are free to criticize it, right? Even if they listen, like totally, that, that was totally. a very heartfelt letter, and I think your criticisms also seemed pretty fair. Even yeah, if we yeah. Were I, I, it's it. just yeah. try to let's try to not. We try not to be mean spirited. We don't always succeed, but that, that's what we try to yeah. do. What we try to do. So anyway, it, it is for, very possible to like put your heart into something. And it end up being bad. And that's unfortunate. <laughs> yes. yeah. I mean, just look at this podcast as an example. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We know um, it. We live it. <laughs> no, he said put put your heart into something. Oh, babe. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're right, you're right. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the, the correction. The other thing that I think that email uh, reminds us, uh, maybe the listeners of this podcast, savvy as they are, might not need to be reminded, but uh, the general audiences could use a reminder that uh, reality TV is a creative endeavor. Yeah, <laughs> in the sense that it is not just pointing a camera at people and just finding out what happens. Yeah, yeah, that's not totally. how reality TV is made. It is crafted, just like any other piece of television. I mean, I think I spend more time talking about reality TV than anyone on this podcast. I'm a big fan of the art form. I'm going to talk about a reality TV show today, actually. So, uh, big fan. Thanks for the reminder email, and of course, you can always keep those emails coming into slash filmcast at gmail.com. And thanks for the warning, Dave. 
Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome, <laughs> Jeff. Um, okay, so one other thing before we get to some film news this week, and that is a reminder that on the After Dark this week, uh, at patreon.com slash film podcast, we're going to be discussing Magic Mike 1 and 2, or Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL, in advance of our review of Magic Mike's Last Dance next week. So be sure to be a subscriber at patreon.com slash film podcast. You can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Uh, this was my first time watching Magic Mike XXL all the way through. Oh, really? Huh. Uh, and you only I got was, through the first X the first time? That's right. I was pleasantly surprised uh, by... How good! I, arguably a better film than the first one in, in some ways. In so, some ways, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that on the after dark. Look forward to that. You ha- um, you have to have pony on in the background mm-hmm. while listening to those episodes. So, so that true. is the law. So true. Okay, guys. A lot of film news happened this week. Let's start with a story about Netflix. Now, Netflix has previously estimated that they are losing out on 100 million paid customers because of password sharing. Right. That is what they're estimate is. And after they had a pretty rough quarter uh, early last year, 2022, they said, hey, we're going to start doing things to make more money from our existing customer base. Starting with, we're going to try to do an ad tier, you know, try to get some more people in, in the pool. And we're also going to start putting a stop to password sharing. That's what they said. Mm-hmm. This last week, they made an update to their online help center describing how they would stop password sharing. I'm going to argue that this is one of the most consequential help center updates in the history of tech companies. In the history of help center updates. In the history of help center updates. Basically, they detailed how they were going to stop password sharing. And the answer to that question is uh, that once every 31 days, you would need to log into the the account owner's home Wi-Fi network in order for your device to be able to use that account. Uh, Now, this spread around the internet really, really rapidly. I was going to ask you guys what you thought about this, but of course, I'm not going to for reasons Mm -hmm. I'm about to get into. Uh, But I made a TikTok about this. And as of this recording of this podcast, it has 1.4 million views. Now, I'm going to say that I was actually pretty stunned (laughs) at the reaction to this and how strongly negative it was because for me i'm like oh hey hey um netflix is saying if you want netflix you should pay for an account that's that's what they're that's essentially what they're saying if you want to watch netflix shows pay for an account previously they have said things like love is sharing your password and uh, they've encouraged password sharing previously but like things have changed people were super super pissed uh my tiktok at this uh writing has over or at this recording has over 9500 comments and 99% of those comments are negative about Netflix. They are like, <laughs> I'm just going to read you a sampling of comments. Okay, here. Netflix is already drowning by canceling shows after one season, and their idea was to grab a cinder block. That's one comment. Um, I foresee a lot of cancellations, and their streaming, uh, and, uh, their, their streaming will drop, drop drastically when they realize how many streams come from shared accounts. Um, I travel frequently. Uh, I asked Netflix directly about it. They basically told me I'm not allowed to use it the way I have been. Guess no more Netflix soon. End quote. So those those are a bunch of different comments mm-hmm. from people saying they would rather cancel Netflix than pay for their own account instead of sharing an account with someone else. Right. Um, and I think to, to some degree it's reasonable again, because it, maybe people paid for a four stream account, assuming they could share it with other people. All right. Anyway, mm-hmm. next morning, that help center update is mysteriously changed. 
they changed it. They're like, we're not that part is removed. That part where they said yeah. you need to. It, it was quick stirred, as as we say. <laughs> it was quick stirred. That part is is mysteriously changed, where they basically aren't requiring you to log into the home Wi-Fi network every four day, uh, every um, thirty one days anymore. Instead, they said, by the way, uh, that was unintentional. That was unintentional. Um, we what we that that help center update actually referred to certain other countries like Chile and Costa Rica, mm-hmm. where that change is already live yeah. today. Right, the, the poor countries, which yeah, we don't care about them. First. Yeah, we don't have to be mad about that. Yeah, we don't, yeah, no need to be upset about that, folks. So, so now apparently the system is um, that if there is a device that's not on the home Wi-Fi network, uh, a code gets to, sent to the account owner. And you have 15 minutes to enter in that four-digit code in order to use that device on, on the Netflix account, right? So um, I think this is going to be particularly concerning for people who have multiple households, like if you're divorced, people who have kids in college, pe- military families who try to share a Netflix account. Families you know, like, that live in Chile. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. So, so th- those are like a lot of the people who are going to be impacted by this, right? People who aren't actually in one household. Um, and I guess I, I wanted to bring this up because, oh, and by the way, so I made a, another TikTok updating the TikTok, you know, like the story. I was like, Hey, Netflix changed it. That TikTok has half a million views. Uh, so proof that, um, what is it? The, uh, is it like something, something, something before the truth can get its shoes on? Like gossip spread around mm-hmm. the world before the truth. For sure. For on? sure. Yeah. I, to be fair, I was saying true information from the help center the first time, but um, the damage has already been done. And plus I got a lot of comments on the second TikTok saying too late, already canceled Netflix, which I was like, sure. Wow. Sure you you made that decision sure based on the last 24 sure hours. I don't, yeah, I don't actually believe you're, it. You're sharing an account and you're canceling Netflix. I don't, <laughs> yeah, how does I don't, that even work? what? I don't think this threat. entire story is just a way for Dave to humble brag about his TikTok account. <laughs> I mean, hundred percent. I want to see those stats. No, hum, see those no humble brag. There's people are using humble bragging wrong, Jeff. There is no hum, humble about that. That's yeah, just bragging. This is just bragging. bragging. Yeah. So, uh, here's my question for you guys. Let's start with this question. Do you currently, share a password with someone outside of your home not for netflix i do not i, I do for yeah. netflix i do for netflix um my uh i think my brother might use my netflix account and also my parents use my netflix account mm-hmm. and they are they don't currently live with me right now right yeah i do so, not but I, the first version of this would have been catastrophic for me mm-hmm. on a and then if if catastrophe is measured in inconvenience yes because <laughs> um uh i have a house uh, now that has uh, a guest room in it that mm-hmm. is used uh, maybe, I don't know, half a dozen times a year for when grandma comes into town. And uh, the idea that I every time she, you know grandma turns on the TV, <laughs> I have to re-enter the password for Netflix because it hasn't logged on in more than 30 days mm-hmm. would be uh, supremely disappointing for me. It'd be mm-hmm. just a massive inconvenience. So I'm glad that's not happening. Well, the, the 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 first iteration was you have to log into the home Wi-Fi network, right? So you're mm-hmm. saying your grandmother would have the her own device that you would own? Oh, that yeah. television would not be on, but for oh, once every they're, two they're or three months. They're always sort of I see. on, I see. Jeff, though. I see. What? Okay. They're, they're always a little bit on. Well, I don't think like, if you lo- you'd have to TV. log into Netflix on that television once mm-hmm. every 30 days, which it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, that may that might be true. That might be maybe. True. Yeah. So who yeah. knows? Who knows? But but okay. So now it's just a code that you need to enter in. Now every time my parents want to watch a Netflix, they might need to hit me up for a code. Basically, is how it's going to go. Yeah. Uh, but but it really feels like Netflix overstepped. They got super terrible PR about it, 
and then they're like, okay, we got to slow walk. This. We got to slow. They hit the quickster button. Like, that's yeah, what it yeah, is. Yeah. Anytime they fuck up so badly <laughs> that everyone else is like, what are you doing, you insane company? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they have a red alarm for it. The, the, the thing uh, is, though, I don't think this is the end. Like, I think there will be more punitive password sharing, anti-password sharing measures coming. And this code thing is just temporary. Like, and the code thing, by the way, is still going to be very annoying for a lot of people. Like, um, you know, your your child is in Dartmouth and wants to log in on their TV, and you're at work, and you're like, I, "Sorry, honey, I can't give you the code right now because I'm in the middle of a business yeah. meeting with this two factors." Because you went to your safety school. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, instead of staying at home with me, because you could have gone to Harvard. Okay, anyway. Um, uh, but I, yeah, go I, ahead, Jeff. I, I, it is a, it is a bizarre thing, the level of entitlement that people seem to feel about this particular use case. Mm-hmm. Because it does seem to me like, on the face of it, something you shouldn't expect from any company. Like, the, <laughs> yes. the idea like, I pay for cable in my house. Anyone that I say can use my cable should be able to use my cable wherever they may be. That's it's a it's a very odd position yeah. to take. It seems to me based on how everything else works in the world, yeah. but uh, people do seem to be very self righteous about it. It's very difficult to give something to some to people and then yeah. take it away. Right. That's, that, yeah. that's, that's ultimately right? it. Right. Like yeah. that's a, Netflix. I think is fully unaware of how entrenched it has become, which has been a good thing for them. Um, even if it means people are sharing passwords, they're watching stuff, they're talking about Netflix shows. You can't, you can't put that, uh, put that back in the bottle. Yeah, you yeah. know, and like if, that's if, ultimately if, it. The thing is, they didn't really care because uh, previously they were growing, growing, growing every year. Yeah. They're adding yeah. more and more subscribers. Then the subscriber trickle like becomes a trickle, and then it's like, oh, now we gotta, we gotta step up this growth plan. But imagine if they had just done this from the beginning, no one would care. Right. Like they'd be like, oh, that's just that's just how you log into Netflix mm-hmm. is you need to do the code thing or you need to log into the home Wi-Fi network once every 31 days. Yeah. And a lot um, of uh, services have similar restrictions right now. Like Disney Plus is really annoying, actually, when it comes to oh, like, offline videos. I'm not sure oh, about the monthly thing. Extremely thing, but, like, annoying. Offline for Disney is can be annoying. Right. Because, uh, Jeff, I'm sure you felt this like um, you would have videos stored in your account. But sometimes if you have not logged into Disney Plus for the day, you cannot get into that offline video. Which or how about you? The point. You, yeah. uh, board the airplane with your yep. two uh, young children and load up the iPad that is going to be <laughs> your savior for the yeah. next three hours of flight, filled with offline video. You should oh, be and safe. you have loaded it up with Blueys and Mickeys and all the ease that you could possibly want. All the joy for the children to not be a complete terror for the other three hundred people <laughs> on the airplane. And guess what? Disney's like, hey, you haven't checked in in the last 48 hours. Yeah. No! No. Hmm. It's happened to me even when Disney was like online that morning. Like there's just weirdness around how this stuff works. So it reminds me of when like the Xbox One was first announced, right? And uh, Microsoft was talking about the potential restrictions around digital downloads. And the entire gaming community was like, hell no, never. And now it's kind of like the way things actually actually run. Yeah. So there is a big difference in public response versus like how 
businesses could actually work out. Yeah. And and Microsoft and Xbox had a massive PR hit because yeah, that people resisted it. And but they were right. They were ahead of the curve. Yeah. They, they yeah. knew exactly what the world was going to. They were just the first to say it, and so yeah. everybody got mad the at them. Not, yeah. And Sony yeah. was very smart to be like, uh, hey guys, we're a hundred dollars <laughs> less that uh, we don't have any of these uh check-in situations. Yeah. Um, what's funny here, I've been reading a lot of Cory Doctorow lately. He's been posting a lot on Mastodon and he has this great uh theory of Shittification. Yeah. And in shittification is basically what's happening to everything online, wherein a server starts out great, maybe really cheap, maybe give you things you've never had before. And due to the pressures of capitalism and, you know, hyper growth and everything, like it has to get worse. It has to get worse for them to make more money off of you. And because of that, like the overall experience gets worse until it's awful, until it's pure trash. So this kind of just makes me think of that. It happens to everything. I will, uh, I will also say anecdotally, um, there is a very generous and awesome listener of this very podcast who uh, allows me to share their uh, YouTube premium mm. subscription code, yeah. uh, for which I am eternally grateful. Uh, and however, they added uh, YouTube TV to it, mm -hmm. and I am not able to enjoy that because oh, yeah. it YouTube checks knows. in. Yeah, yeah. you need to have a location thing. Yeah, exactly. So. So are you did you did you yell at that listener, Jeff? Were you like, I'm angry that you can't? No, do no, the I didn't even mention it. It was very, it was very, uh, <laughs> very kind of them to let me, you know, have yeah. any part of that. So the idea, it's like, well, YouTube got me. You know, like I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know right, I'm not supposed right. to be doing this. YouTube got me. So I, the idea of like, well, screw YouTube for not letting me be. It's like weird to <laughs> right, me. It's, it's the way. It's a difference in the way some of these services work, right? Like the YouTube, YouTube itself is its its own content. Right. Like mostly Google's own content or stuff people put up and they're free to like let you access that feed however you want. I don't think it's a it's actually kind of like the way it works. Right. For you to be able to share maybe a Microsoft Office account or something with your family. If you're paying for a quote unquote family account. Yeah. It's kind of been the way we do things. But certainly you can't do that with cable TV. You can't do that with certain with your you know cell phone access or something. So right. Right. There's a big difference. Um, yeah. But I was going to ask you guys uh, if you had password sharing outside of the house, if you're going to pay for the extra accounts or if your family will pay for the extra accounts or your friends mm -hmm. will pay for the extra accounts. Um, it sounds like none of you are password sharing right now. Um, you know, my parents use my Netflix account and mm -hmm. if Netflix forces them to get their own account, the, uh, they'll probably either pay for it or I will help fund it because I think it's a, it's actually a really meaningful part of their lives. Yeah, um, yeah. One thing Netflix does really well is they translate everything into different languages. And so my family and I can actually like watch the same shows, which is something we would never be able to do because mm -hmm. uh, they can watch a show with Chinese subtitles. Oh. And, you, know, you guys can cool. both watch MILF Manor together? That's adorable. Not on Netflix, Jeff. It's not, not on Netflix. So, yeah. um, but, 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 you know, th that is a big I'm sure deal. you'll find a way. Thank I you. think this whole thing really speaks to like how little Netflix understands how much people love and rely on Netflix as a service. Like that's the ultimate thing. Like it seems like the solution should be trying to figure out a way to to keep that loyalty and maybe make money from that loyalty without punishing your users. And that's just mm. tough. I don't, know, but I, I don't know if they, I think they do recognize how entrenched it is because they're like, we want, we need to like extract more value. Sure, from sure. But I, I agree that the, certainly the way it's being rolled out is terrible yes. because should not have been done via this help center account. And they, they have said <laughs> it was funny. a mistake. It was a mistake. Well, we did, the excuse we, is we're only doing this to the brown people. Don't worry. <laughs> like you're safe. Well, to be fair, to be fair, like they did say, hey, we would never roll out a major announcement like this. Um, and I think that's true. Like if they were going to make a big policy change, sure, like this, sure, sure. they probably would have like PR videos and stuff like that around yeah. it. So I do think there probably was some error there. Yeah. Um, but, but whatever the so case, many of, 
well, some the, of the things they have tested out and have actually come to us uh, have started in Latin America. So like that, mm, that yeah, is the true. testing ground. So. It's true. It's true. The, um, the other yeah. thing I don't really believe, and I don't mean to come off on the side of the big corporation here, which I'm certainly not, but I, uh, the other thing I kind of don't believe is all the people that claim they're going to cancel because of this. It's like, they're saying that I can't share it with you, so we should both not have it. Yeah. <laughs> that feels not like not, well, not the, I, you know. I, I do think that there is, that Netflix has been building up a lot of ill will because of how they cancel TV shows. Um, oh, I, I agree with that. I, I think and, there's a lot of ill will. I I, I just, I... So, so, so for skeptical. many people, this is like, it's like, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back for them. That's, okay, that's kind of how it's been framed. But I, I agree with you. People talk a big game online, but yeah, they're probably yeah. not. It's very easy to be outraged online. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, um, those are some thoughts on Netflix. We got a bunch more thoughts on variable pricing and James Gunn DC news coming up uh, in a moment. So let's take a break. Talk about a sponsor. We'll be right back with more movie news on the Filmcast. It's time to talk about our sponsor, NordVPN. Jeff Kanata, what are some reasons why people might want to use a VPN? For all sorts of reasons. Security. Being able to watch content in a region that you're not actually in. Security. Oh, did I mention security? Yeah, it's smart. You don't want people snooping and seeing the stuff that you are doing online. Well, here's my question, Jeff. Do you use NordVPN? I use NordVPN. I've been using it for years. Why? It's easy to use. You connect with a single click or you can enable auto connect for zero click protection. That's pretty convenient. They have over 5,300 servers in 60 country so you can find a server near you for better speed or connect to a faraway location to freely explore the internet there but what about speed jeff i'm worried this thing won't be fast enough speed is the number one thing you want in a vpn you don't want it to slow you down and nordvpn is confirmed by the speed test the speed test that's my favorite kind of test nordvpn is the fastest VPN out there. You can connect up to six devices on every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, and Linux. Even your Android TV supports NordVPN. Check it out for yourself. Final question, Jeff. Do we have a deal for our listeners? Why not use our promo code? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash filmcast, you'll get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn, N-O-R-D-V-P-N.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. In the past on this podcast, we talked about uh, variable pricing for movie tickets. I have said, hey, I don't think it would be a terrible idea to charge more for like a Top Gun Maverick or an Avengers Affinity War than um, you know, Smile right, or, right. or whatever. And you guys were not to, fans of To that. which we said, you were insane. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, guess what? Um, this week saw two distinct stories about variable pricing in theaters. Um, the first one is I'm reading this from The Ankler, which is an amazing newsletter. 80 for Brady. 80 for Brady I'm reading from the newsletter. Paramount encouraged the three major theater chains to lower ticket prices yep. for 80 for Brady, with many theaters essentially maintaining matinee pricing for evening showings as well. They cannot dictate a price cut, 
but they pitched exhibitors on how much movie-going increased for films like Auto and Ticket to Paradise on yeah. weekday discount days. And Listen, how extending you want this the approach... moms and the grandmas out there buying concessions to see this movie. Yeah. So, and, and how yeah. extending this approach could help further restore key older demo movie-going, end quote. The average ticket price for 80 for Brady was $9.80. The average ticket price for Knock at the Cabin was $12.30. 80 for Brady made $12.5 million this weekend. That's pretty, pretty good. So... Um, so that's variable pricing potentially already here, but the big story, so that, that's just like a studio encouraging, you know, a movie, movie theaters to do different ticket pricing. That's any like movie, okay. any movie, mm-hmm. any movie whose target demo is octogenarians mm-hmm. yeah. go for it. Yeah. That, and and the, that's, you know, that's like, okay, hey, maybe this is a sign of things to come. That's not like a yeah. policy change or anything. And like just, just to be clear, like there, we, when we last talked about this, there were surcharges for some high ticket movies. Like it, they tried this out in several cities. I'm reading from boxofficepro.com mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Rebecca Pale there. But yeah, in 2019, there was a 51, 50 cent, $1 and $1.50 charge yeah. to some movies. And overseas, they've been doing variable for a while too. Yeah. So, so people have, don't even try to see a movie in Chile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in, in America, they've been dipping their toe into variable pricing. 80 for Brady was another prominent example. But here is the big policy change. This is a this is a you know arguably one of the biggest changes to theater pricings that we've seen in our times. Um, AMC, I'm reading from Variety. AMC theaters to change movie ticket prices based on seat location. Oh no! They're rolling out a thing called awful called Sightline. Sightline. Which what is a, a name. I would argue, a dystopian-sounding name it's like, for this it's policy. It's like buying tickets to Beyonce. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. That's where they're taking the keys from, yeah. So uh, there's going to be three different Sightline options. I'll take um, some nosebleeds, please. The first is Standard Sightline, which is basically Ugh. most seats. Then there's going to be a Value Sightline, which is seats in the front row, which will be cheaper. Oh my and god! And then finally, preferred sightline, which are quote the seats in the middle of the auditorium that are priced at a premium compared to standard sightline seats. End quote. Yeah. Now, Jeff, here's some good news for you. AMC Stubbs A list members will not uh, will will be able to reserve preferred sightline section seats at no additional cost. Oh yeah. This so, means nothing for A list people, basically. So yeah. it doesn't got, impact it doesn't impact A list people at all. Exactly. There yeah. Go. Jeff like Jeff's like outrageous. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't affect me. Great. <laughs> Yeah, all, all of a sudden yeah. the subscription plan seems uh, like a better idea, right? Yeah. Like yeah. almost like I'll be, outside, I'll be outside waiting until you idiots in <laughs> the side seats and the trailers are done. Nice uh, egalitarian seating section. Uh, nice egalitarian uh, seating <laughs> system you have here. It would be a shame if something were to happen to it. Basically, <laughs> is what AMC is saying with its AMC stubs A list. Um, now, uh, I think. Um, I'm going to just go on a limb and say, I think this is probably going to suck, is my guess, because yeah. because of enforcement, I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because AMC is not good at enforcing things in general. Like, they're not good at enforcing- They don't have the people to do they don't it. Have the like, they're, they're understaffed. Yeah. yeah. They don't have people to stop you from talking on the phone yeah, or- they don't have the fucks up. to give is the exactly, problem. Exactly. They so, have one person managing all the projectors across 16 screens. You know, like, that's often what happens. It's all in the computerized central location, so- Good what luck is, with this. What is going to stop people from buying the uh, shitty seats and then moving to the preferred sightline seats? Mm-hmm. What's going to stop people from just sitting in preferred sightline seats and refusing to get up? You know, I, I predict there will be fights that will break out because of preferred sightline. You will see a headline in the next year that has the word fight breaks out and preferred sightline in that headline. <laughs> um, preferred sightline. My... More like preferred fight line. Am I right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, 
I, I, I kind of hate this, but at the same time, yeah. I kind of understand it. Because theoretically, it, no. it makes sense. Like it does well, make no. sense as a way. In the alternate, yeah. in the alternate universe, in the alternate mm-hmm. universe, all seats are good seats, right? In the alternate universe, there are no bad. If you go to an arc light, like <laughs> well, there basically are no value sightline yeah. seats because most yeah. every most seat the, is good. Most of the recently built AMC theaters that I go to, like the front row is. 30 feet back, back from the screen. Yeah, that's it's not, fine. Mm, not yeah, like I'd when I was a kid there. yeah, where yeah. there's a seat literally where you can stick your feet out and touch the bottom of the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, okay, you know? but Jeff, you, you're very against this. Tell, tell us about your I think this is awful. Listen, in, in, in my lifetime of going to movies, we have seen capitalism fuck this sideways. Like When you were a kid, you bought a ticket to a movie and you want to know what to pick where you sit? Show up, show up. It's communism. It's socialism. Arrive, stand in line for bread, motherfucker. You know, you want the bread? Get there early before the bread is gone. Now, now, you know, now then it's okay. Well, pay money, pay money to get to the seat first. You want the better seat? Well, it goes to the richest of us. It goes to the most, the, the those of us that can afford that seat. You don't deserve that seat. This is a terrible I, idea. I, I I agree because basically, it it separates it out into the haves and the have-nots in the theater. It's like adding first class to theaters. it's it's what planes right. do. Yeah. 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 It may like, let me just say like logistically I like this is not a terrible idea because these these companies are in trouble right like Regal the parent company of Regal has declared bankruptcy they're closing theaters all over AMC has been in trouble for a while uh somehow like that that weird stock thing like helped them a bit and then they got a little more money um but this idea doesn't seem bad the problem is enforcement and logistics because even right now I don't know if you guys actually go see how normal humans buy movie theater tickets but uh especially for older folks especially for folks who don't go to the theater all the time they will you have to often buy tickets at the concession stand because you may not want to use the outside ticket screen thing it's often like a three minute conversation to figure out like where do we sit I don't know what's good, and then they con- converse with their friends. Right. It's a Here, whole thing. Which side, which side of the screen is yeah, where yeah. the screen exactly. is? And yeah, it's, it's a mess right now. Oh, the green means it's available. You know, like yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a mess. And then the yeah. theater people are there trying to sell both sell popcorn and move the line along and trying to help these people. Um, I think this whole thing, adding more complication to it, is going to be a disaster. So yeah, enforcement will just be a mess. Davinja, this I don't I don't understand why you're saying this is a, a good idea. This is a a poster child for the inshittification you just cited. This <laughs> is inshittification. That's why I'm this saying. Is, that's why I'm saying it's shitty though because no, but because this is, it does make. I, I think you're saying worse. good idea, like in terms of like this yeah. may in fact raise their bottom line a little. When bit. I'm like, sitting well, in AMC's pure, board here, yes, this makes yeah. sense. What, I, what I'm trying to tell you is that. Yes, movie theaters are in trouble. Don't inshittify yourself to get yourself out of trouble. That's the problem. That is exactly that the is definition the of inshittification is, is we need yeah. to make more money. How can we do it? By making the process of the end user worse. That <laughs> it, is, it, it can be argued that if you go for the front row seats or some seats, like maybe you're actually getting more of a deal. Maybe like we don't know what the pricing is just yet too. All they're saying is standard pricing uh, preferred sight line is like higher than standard. I kind of want to see how it all lands. Yeah, up. yeah. We don't. We don't but know. Is I, it going to be one dollar? Like, is it going to be three dollars? You, you know, are like, correct, Jeff. Like way this is precisely to bring people back yeah. to the movies is not to make it worse. 
It's to yeah. make it better, make the experience better, improve the experience, and people will come back to the movie theaters. Making it like, oh crap, I have to decide. The, yeah. the process of buying tickets to Beyonce is terrible. Mm -hmm. terrible no one does and anyone enjoy saying, working with Ticketmaster <laughs> no saying, let me have some of that you know? <laughs> don't, don't like, be more like Ticketmaster movie theaters it's no, so I, t I totally agree with you Jeff like that's what I'm saying it's like this doesn't work because it is such a mess for consumers and consumers are already having a hard time buying a freaking ticket right now even in New York like when AMC was uh, rolling out you know selecting seats for a lot of places the old people will just sit wherever they want and then you'd be like, you're, you're in my seat. And they're like, they just shrug because yeah. they're old. And they, and they just can't shrug move. and pull out know. their Ziploc bag of spaghetti. Yeah, of spaghetti. But it, it was always a thing. Like, remember, remember the idea of even picking your seat did not really, it was not everywhere 10 years ago. Right. That slowly became more of a thing at AMCs. And that, that transition was rough. Right now, even just picking a seat, uh, even in the year 2023, is really annoying. So I don't. I, th I don't think this will actually stick around once they launch oh, it. Oh, really? See how much of a mess it is? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're going to backtrack on this immediately. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I think they they seem pretty set on it, but we'll see. Um, These my, companies my, tend to announce things and be like, "Oh, this was a terrible idea." Yeah. My, my guess yeah. is it will stick around, but it just won't be. My guess is, ah, yeah, you know, I was going to say, I, th I think it'll stick around, but it'll just be a mess. Like people yeah. buying buying reduced sightline seats and then sitting in the premium sightline. You can like, only, you really can only common, live with the mess so. for a while. And then again, like, I don't know if it's going to be, it's not going to be like yeah. people complaining about Netflix, but people will complain. Um, people working at the theaters and the managers will complain. Yeah. Eventually yeah. AMC will have to listen. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible that it will just be rolled back. That's possible. As yeah. somebody who was part of the ticket sellers union for seven years, I oh, worked wow. at a at a live concert venue in Los Angeles called the Hollywood Bowl for seven years of my life. Worked in the box office and sold tickets for a living. I feel for the employees of all oh, these yeah. theater shows. Totally. Disaster. Totally. It is yeah, going 100%. to be brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And and the idea that like you sold the first two rows and the rest of the theater is empty because people wanted the cheap seats. You think that they're going to stay empty? Exactly. They're not. No. No, they're going to, everyone's going to, once the, you know, <laughs> uh, we make movies better. Nicole Kidman thing comes out. Like everyone's going to switch seats. You know, that's it's, what's going to happen. So it's, it, this is so ill-conceived mm -hmm. on every level. You, this is not making movies better. Nicole Kidman would be disappointed, AMC. Where does Nicole Kidman sit? Yes. Preferred sightline. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, that is AMC's new variable ticket pricing based on seat location. Uh, by the way, rolling out this week in Chicago, Kansas City, uh, and uh, New York, and will be expanding to the rest of the country uh, in 2023. So that's what the current plan is. Sure, sure AMC. Right, sure. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, finally, uh, and this might we might need to take a break in the middle of this section, but James Gunn, uh, rolled out a series of announcements for the new DC uh, EU. And he did this via a six-minute video clip that was published online. During the six-minute video clip, he announced 11 film and TV projects. It's a very ambitious section. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know you guys have read about this. Jeff, do you have a, do you, did you watch the James Gunn video by any chance? I did not watch the video. Okay. We covered uh, the, the news on DLC on yeah. last night's episode because he also talked about video games as being part of yes. this connected, interconnected universe, I, which is, I think is a disastrous idea. But mm, Interesting. I watched this video multiple times, and 
I think it's a little bit of a weird video. I'm just going to put that out there. I think it's it feels like it was edited really heavily. Um, it, it, it kind of takes place in like YouTube style with like a bunch of cuts. And it feels like it was kind of unscripted in some ways. Like it feels like he it was kind of riffing. And so my guess is it was edited to within an inch of his life. That's just my guess. I don't actually have any inside information. But I wanted to play a couple of clips from this announcement because it's pretty consequential stuff. Um, and the stakes are this. Marvel has created the most profitable film franchise in human history. If DC can do something similar, that is a big deal for pop culture. It's a big deal for the theatrical film going industry. It's a big deal for Hollywood. It's a big deal for everyone. If they can achieve this. Now, the plan is extremely ambitious. Who knows if he will accomplish it. The first thing James Gunn did is he explained that, hey, all these different Batman movies and um, Joker and so on, it's not going to be part of the main DE, uh, DCEU, but it will still be part of the universe. It will just be clearly marked Elseworld. Here's a clip from the presentation. So as many of you know, DC has been disconnected in film and television for a long time. And it's one of you know our jobs, mine and Peter's, is to come in and make sure the DCU is connected in film, television, gaming, and animation. That the characters are consistent, played by the same actors, and it works within one story. And if something is outside of that, like... Matt Reeves' Batman or Todd Phillips' Joker or Teen Titans Go, that it is clearly labeled as DC Elseworlds outside of the mainstream DCU continuity. So that's James Gunn talking about DC's upcoming slate. Um, and so this I is basically everything is connected except when it isn't. Yeah, <laughs> everything <laughs> that is super financially successful is going to be part of the universe and we're just going to label it as not part of the DCEU, right? Um, and then he goes it's already broken. He goes Whatever. on. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the thing, Jeff, you were like, oh, well, then you guys got to wipe the slate clean. He I don't think he's going to wipe the slate clean. He can't. Like he's, That's the problem. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't. He can't. What, what do you this mean is, when you say just, he can't? Because you can't say, well, we're not going to do the second Joker movie that was super successful. Yeah. Because it doesn't fit. You go, well, yeah. we have we're doing that. We have to. Every, we're, everybody's on board. We're, you know, we Matt Reeves wants to do another Batman movie that was successful, right? You know, jo Joker made a billion dollars. You know, Batman yes. made many hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like, how can you not? You can't not do it. So, like, right. what's the? F this this is the thing that drives me nuts. <laughs> what's what? the point, man? Like, I, I don't. Uh, first of all, I, okay, go ahead, Jeff. I'll let you rant about it, and I'll, I'll respond. Go ahead. I mean, it's whatever. Do whatever you want to do, James Gunn. I, I'm rooting for him. I I I like the guy. I like his work. I think it's great, but like. It's the same thing with as he said about video, the video games. It's like, well, we're going to do the video games that'll fit in with the movies and the, there'll be like side stories that'll also, it's either do it or don't do it. Like, I don't understand what, <laughs> exactly what I just said. Everything's connected except when it isn't. Like, well, fine. here's let me let me take the uh, positive case, uh, the positive read on this, Jeff. Okay, I th I think your take is is uh, very reasonable, right? Because it's like, oh, it's still going to be chaos, right? Like that's kind of yes. what he's laying out, and I understand why that's uh, that's irritating. But this is a level of articulation about what is even happening in the DCEU that we've never gotten before. Like at least he's saying, hey, these are clearly. He's literally saying we must clearly label these elsewhere elsewhere stories. Uh, it's going to be very clear. 
for, for people who are watching so they know, oh, hey, this is not part of the main DCEU. Because does anyone, ma- is anyone confusing main- the, the Joker movie for being part, being connected to the Justice League Snyderverse? Uh, there, there's a lot of confusion. Like I, <laughs> yeah, even I, I so. thought initially like the Joker movie could have led into the Batman or something. And the stuff is confusing because they, yeah. they were never clear about any of this. Yeah. So I, I think he's going to bring, regardless of how messy it is, I think he's going to bring some clarity to the situation, but you're right. They have a really weird situation where they have had these extremely successful movies that aren't part of the story that he wants to tell. Plus there's four additional movies coming out this year. Uh, that may or may not be part of the story he's going to tell. Now, he talked very excitedly about these movies. He talked about all four of them. Um, Aquaman, Shazam, The Flash, and Blue Beetle. He's like, these are all great movies, and we're going to figure out a way to make them fit into what we're doing or not, right? Um, he's not. I don't think he was super committal to like whether or not they would fit into the DCEU, but uh, he, he talk expressed... talk or not talk for hours at a time. He expressed a lot of excitement about, about those movies. Now... Uh, he then talked about, obviously, uh, so some of the stuff that's happening in the meantime, Creature Commandos TV series. There's going to be an Amanda Waller TV series. Uh, I'll play a clip from that. But also, um, I, I don't think there's going to be Peacemaker season two, unfortunately, which is too bad because I know Devinger and I really love that show. Maybe Jeff too, yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. All of us. Uh, but he's James Gunn's too busy creating a, a universe here. He can't yeah. make another Peacemaker. Right. Um, but here is kind of the centerpiece of the announcement. The first project is Creature Commandos. Creature Commandos is an animated series. I've written all the episodes. Something we're going to do that's a little bit different at DC is we're going to have characters move into animation, out of animation, usually having the same actor play their voice as who plays them in live action. The next project up is Waller. This is a story of Amanda Waller played by Viola Davis. Viola Davis is going to team up with members of Team Peacemaker, and this is a story that's been created by Crystal Henry, who did Watchmen, and Jeremy Carver, who created the Doom Patrol. It is a fantastic story that's out of this world, and I can't wait for people to see it. Okay, next up is the big one, the true beginning of the DCU. This is called Superman Legacy. This is being written by me. I'm in the middle of it. I'm having a great time doing it, and Superman will be released into theaters July 11th, 2025. That's the big one, right? Superman mm-hmm. Legacy, July 11th, 2025. That is going to be a turning point, pivot point, I think, for the whole thing. If he can make that work, if that is a successful movie, you can you can base the whole thing on. That can be the Iron Man of the DCEU, right? Ge- yeah. Genuinely excited for that movie. I I, yeah. can't, I really hope he nails. I mean, there's talk that it's based on All Star Superman, which you know is a very very good Superman story. Uh, and you know, it's basically the idea that Superman's going to die. So I I doubt that part of it's going to make into the movie. <laughs> building a universe on that, but mm-hmm. um, uh, you People know, I've tried I, before, Jeff. People have tried. Yeah, <laughs> I'm genuinely thrilled for that so it sounds like james gunn gets superman wants to make it awesome I, I, like he seems thrilled about it I, I i'm genuinely excited about that but do you know what marvel didn't say when they were making the iron man movie <laughs> it's going to be the start of the mcu yes right yes that's the problem is that when you imp- it's the same thing with the dark universe and all this stuff like <laughs> yeah it has to happen organically it, mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's unfortunate that nobody seems to get that but, but it can't it, it can't do that anymore unfortunately like i get your point jeff but what marvel was doing was never done before so they can't really call that shot right they could be like 
here's a big movie and here's Nick Fury at the end. Uh, what do you think, guys? What do you think about that? You know, and they end up like working out like what they yeah. put together. But it's it's also like uh, James Gunn, you know, he's probably learned a lot uh-huh. from working both in the DCEU and also making some of the most successful Marvel films ever. You know, like I think that um, this is not just like some untested guy who has no idea what right, he's doing, right, right. who's kind of coming in and trying to create a universe from nothing. He has actual artistic experience in these universes. I'm not going to say the movie's good, you know, but, but I don't, I'm, I'm not quite as um, pessimistic as you are about th- this being a, a universe from the start, because it's a guy who has experience working in a really successful mm-hmm. universe. You know what I mean, Jeff? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And I'm rooting for him. I yeah. genuinely am rooting for him, but are you recasting Wonder Woman? Are you, we, I mean, we, we don't I don't think Wonder unclear. Woman was, was mentioned at all during the, yeah, right. he responded to somebody on Twitter saying like, we did not let Gal Gadot go. Yeah, but we don't. We also don't know what that means or right. how exactly. long he'll stick around. But I don't. Again, I don't know. I don't see the problem in him, like at least laying out the plans for a universe which we have consistently criticized for being completely aimless and like not having a direction. Right, yeah. like giving it a direction. I don't blame him. Uh, I think of the way. I don't know if this still happens for a big comic, uh, like comic series stuff, like actually in comics, Jeff. But I seem to recall a lot of like creators and uh comic book companies would like call out the extended universe being built up and this is what that reminds me of the idea of bringing in uh you know same actors to animated and into live action pretty cool because i actually hate i hate having to get used to like new people sometimes for these characters the waller thing doesn't seem too bad like that could actually be like peacemaker the sort of peacemaker yeah, it's basically like a the equivalent for. of a peacemaker season yeah two, pretty much. from from like the doom patrol guy like that is super dope and, and, and watchman the, the, watchman watchman yeah. yeah and the idea of games that is the biggest like that's the biggest question to me right because i think a lot of tie-in games i'm thinking of what we grew up with in the 90s and in the 2000s not good like especially movie tie-in games generally haven't been very good um what if you give them the creative capacity to like you know actually rope into a universe uh could that make them better the problem is games take too long to create, right? Like takes games take twi- twice or more as long as a movie to put together. So I don't know how they're going to figure out those timelines. Yeah, to me, yeah. that seems hard. Didn't the matrix well, already try this? Mm. Yeah. And some would argue ahead of its time. So yeah, some um, things very, were yeah. ahead of its time. And anyway, uh, here, let's, uh, let's, let's take a break. Let's take a break um, uh, for a sponsor. And we'll be right back with more discussion of James Gunn's DC universe. All right, we're back. Jeff, go ahead. What we're going to say. Okay. I feel bad. I kind of feel bad being so negative and maybe it's because I have COVID and I'm in a grouchy mm-hmm. mood and I've been so negative today, but yeah. um, I, I I'm rooting for DC. I am. I am. Here's my position. As a Marvel zombie from way back as, as, as a fan of the Marvel properties, what was magical about that process was that, Oh my gosh, here are these characters that, can hold their own in their own movies. And then you bring them together in a team-up movie. And it just felt special and unprecedented and amazing. That to me is, it's not just shared storytelling. It is that there is this, this, this sort of specialness of it. I, you, you, that is impossible to recapture because DC has already done that. We already had a bunch of big actors make the movies and come together and make a Justice League movie. There's nothing special about that anymore. It's not like, I, I, I kind of don't even understand the impetus. It's just, 
we can do shared storytelling because everybody likes shared storytelling. I don't understand what what is to gain here other than they think that people watch ancillary Marvel stuff because it connects to the big Marvel stuff, which I think is misinterpreting the data. I think that is a very small part of why people watch the Marvel stuff. I think they watch the Marvel stuff because the level of quality has been extremely high. And even a side character that you've never heard of tends to be in a pretty darn entertaining movie. So, I, my, you know, my recommendation throughout this whole thing is that DC kind of do the opposite and go, hey, you know what has worked for us? Making a Joker movie that's really different and entertaining as a Joker movie and doesn't have all the trappings that it has to worry about all the connections. Making a Batman movie where we just get the best possible creators to come together and make a really interesting Batman movie and you don't have to worry about whether Superman's gonna show up in it or not. And I think going the opposite direction, just going, hey, let's make a super high quality bar without worrying about whether the video games are gonna connect and the animation is gonna connect. You know what's great about the WB superheroes? The animation movies, they're all excellent. It just, it just feels like this is the cart before the horse writ large. It's what, what do you gain? Wow. I, this is a shocking take from you, Jeff. Uh, honestly, like I'm, I'm really stunned legitimately. Uh, I, I feel completely differently. I, I, I'm not saying this is an awesome plan that everything's going to go great. Um, I mean, three years ago, I think Warner Brothers was owned by a different company. So, like, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. knows? The the Superman movie's not even going to come out till 2025. So, who knows what's going to happen between now and then? Who knows what's going to happen to Warner Brothers between now and then? I think there's a lot of ways this all could go wrong. Or uh, and even and if the first Superman movie isn't good, I think the whole plan is in jeopardy. Right? Yeah. Other movies that they've announced, like Lanterns, The Authority. Um, there's going to be a Wonder Woman TV series called Paradise Lost that takes place on Themyscira. Um, a, a Batman movie called uh, oh, that's based on it's it's called The Brave and the Bold. It's going to be focusing on Bruce and his actual son Damian Wayne. This um, sounds very exciting, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot of projects. I haven't even named all of them, um, but uh, to me, it's like, hey, uh, J James Gunn, very talented individual, has worked in the MCU, saw what made that successful. Is like, hey, I could mm -hmm. apply a similar, uh, a similar but unique. Yep. kind of take to the DC universe. And hey, wouldn't it be great if all these things worked as a cohesive yep. whole and he's laid out a plausible plan to get it to that. I, I don't think the MC, I don't think Marvel has perfected the strategy, right? Like we have criticized a lot of things in terms of MCU sequels, especially the number two movies and how they always feel like they, they're just set up for the third ones, right? Or, you know, you, you're just getting plot. You're getting characters. I'm thinking of like Wakanda Forever. Yeah, Wakanda Forever being a great example. Yeah, um, exactly. Like you introduce a character for five minutes because they're going to have a TV show down the line. There are ways to do these things that I think are more elegant, maybe better for the storytelling. And uh, give, like, given that I have liked pretty much everything James Gunn has produced, like he's proven his, himself as a writer and as somebody who thinks about these characters and cares about the universes, like there's a way to do MCU better. So that's what is kind of exciting to me is the idea of like, okay, planning things out, not forcing the mythologies to to squish together, but organic, like like you're saying, Jeff, like organically trying to weave these stories together in a way that doesn't feel as forced as the MCU. So I would love to see them try that. I, I'm all for that, and I and and I'm rooting for that to work. I think that the truth, though, is that this kind of 
pan media uh, planning takes control away from individual creators. It absolutely does. And the fact that Marvel has been able to keep those plates spinning as long as they have is remarkable and uh, shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked. It's a, it is adding level of difficulty to what is already a hard thing, which is create an entertaining movie. And I think that, I, I don't know, I think it's a diminishing returns as to, if the goal is to create entertaining movies and get creators to come on board and make awesome stuff, and you go, okay, well, you can make awesome stuff, but it has to be within these parameters, video game creator, animation movie creator, live action movie creator. We have, to, it has to have these parameters on it. Every set of those parameters that, that narrows down what a creator can do creatively it makes it harder to make a good thing. And I think, again, it's really shocking that Marvel's been able to do it as long as they have. And I'm not saying it to like, you know, praise Marvel. I'm just saying it's it's really freaking difficult and it's it, it, it makes it less likely that things are going to be good, not more likely. The what makes it less likely, Jeff? Because having in, having yeah. these imposing these parameters on the creative process, saying, "Hey, if you do you want to make a video game, well, it's got to fit into the world of of the vid, of of the movies." Uh mm -hmm. like, you know, the Mar the Marvel uh, Midnight Suns uh, director of Marvel Midnight Suns came out and was like, this is a terrible idea. We would never have been able to make Marvel Midnight Suns. Like, you just can't make that game. Um, and that I think that's <laughs> that's the truth. It's like when you... I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll just say I, I really disagree strongly with, with what you're saying. Like, my sense from James Gunn is that he's like, if there's a good story to tell, we will tell it. You know, like... That, if that's why if they gave a good you the take, label for, for right. things outside if of the If there is a good line, take, yeah. we will tell it. And and you're also... I, you're, you're the biggest Marvel fan on this podcast, and I, I would argue they are notorious at taking interesting, um, exciting young creators and completely... Smashing the creativity out of any of these people. Um, I, I that's what I'm forgive. talking about. Oh, so so you're saying that Marvel yeah. is bad in that way, and you don't want to see that replicated in DC? Exactly. That's okay, exactly okay, gotcha, what I'm gotcha, saying. Gotcha, I'm saying gotcha, that that gotcha, is okay. that the fact that they have continued to uh, achieve movies that I think are are pretty good time after time is an outlier. It shouldn't have happened. The, mm -hmm. the, the, their methodology, which is you got to conform to what we're doing, creators, shouldn't work. And I don't think it is likely to work again. I, I think it's it's adding level of difficulty that is unnecessary. All right. Well, time will tell what happens. But uh, uh, obviously, a lot of a lot of strong opinions, uh, not just on this podcast, but all around the internet. Uh, but those are some of James Gunn's plans for the DCEU. We got to get to the rest of the podcast, folks. Um, but that's a lot of film news that happened this week. That's not even all the film news that happened this week. But that's a lot of it. Uh, and I wanted to talk about it here on the podcast with you guys because all of it is relevant to what we discuss here week to week. So, uh, but why don't we get to what we've been watching? Jeff Kanata, you want to hit us up with <laughs> some stuff you've been watching this week? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll talk about uh, things that are a lot more uh, positive and fun, yeah. <laughs> including uh, and Superman. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I love Superman. He's not yeah. been very positive yeah. and fun lately. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I'm hoping that's be. what James Gunn does is returns yeah. that to the character. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I checked out a uh, a wonderful 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 mockumentary series. It's the newest uh, Philomena Kunk joint, a uh, Kunk on Earth. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Philomena Kunk. Excuse you, Jeff. <laughs> uh, 
that is uh, better than uh, her contemporary, uh, which is, what is his name? Uh, oh, God. What's the guy's name? Uh, Barry Shitpeas? <laughs> you know, do you guys know Philomena Kunk? She, she was a character. I, I know the idea of what she does, yeah. She was a character on a sort of like a daily show, a British kind of daily show type news, fake news uh, comedy show called uh, Weekly Wipe. Um, and, uh, she was like a, you know, a fake news person who would interview people. And she basically, she's, if you, if you take, um, Garth Marenghi and mix it with Da'Ali G, you get Philomena Kunk. Okay. Um, Wow. Sold. Sold. Yeah. Uh, so basically she does, you know, um, uh, Da'Ali G or, 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 uh, Borat style, uh, playing a character, deadpan, complete deadpan, interviewing actual experts on a topic, but asking them ridiculous questions. Uh, oftentimes, almost almost invariably, making herself the butt of the joke, right? She she asks questions that come from a complete level of ignoramus, you know, that she's just, she she's the idiot, right? And will ask a dumb question to a person that's an actual uh, expert, and then see how they squirm in trying to, you know, maintain the uh, the seriousness of the interview. Um, but so, uh, Kunk on Earth is the latest in a, in a series of these mockumentaries. She's done Kunk on Britain and Kunk on Shakespeare and and uh, others, um, and they're all phenomenal. She's brilliant. Uh, it's uh, uh, um, Philomena Kunk is played by Diane Mor- Morgan. It really is an excuse to make people say the, the name Kunk a lot, <laughs> which just. It's very funny. Me. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah Philomena Kunk and, and Barry Shitpeas are the two <laughs> correspondents. Um, it's very, very funny. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, these are on Netflix as a, a short a half hour episodes. I think there's only, I don't know, five or six. Uh, I watch all of them uh, in, a, in a marathon because it's, it's hilarious, smart. Uh, you know, the, the level of stupidity is very smart. You know, it's that kind of humor where she's mispronouncing. She calls uh, the Titanic uh, the Titan 1C, you know, because every, everything is is misread and mispronounced. Um, and she calls t- the Titanic the, the world's first single-use submarine. <laughs> Pre- pretty brilliant. I mean, it's it, 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 over and over g- genius you know, dumb humor. Uh, and, uh, and I love that kind of stuff. Very dry, very deadpan, never uh, admitting that, you know, that there's even a joke here. She is brilliant because she never cracks. She never breaks. Uh, she says these ridiculous things to very serious people and they, you know, blink back at her and she just, you know, sits there in the silence. It's great. So uh, anyway, I love, I love the Philomena Kunk character, Kunk on Earth. It will make you laugh if you're into this kind of stuff. And, uh, but it's also not mean spirited. You know, there's some of the, even some of the, um, the Borat stuff or, or, or some, some stuff like this can feel mean spirited. Like they're, they're kind of making these people, or taking advantage of people or, you know, or, you know, kind of just being mean. And, and it's, I never get that sense with this character. She's always, she's always the butt of the joke. Her stupidity is always the joke. And uh, it's it's very fun. Kunk on Earth, very fun. I have heard great things about this. It's something I'm looking forward to checking out. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Kunk on mm-hmm. Earth on Netflix. Jeff, Jeff, what else have you been watching? Well, I took Devendra's advice and uh, sat down with my kids and watched Puss in Boots, yeah. uh, The Last Wish, 
which is the latest uh, adventure of um, Antonio Banderas's voiced uh, swashbuckling feline, um, which my daughter, by the way, my four-year-old daughter calls a foots in boots. Love it. Because, you know, that makes more sense, I think. Put a, put a foot in a boot. Foots in boots. Um, she's like, uh, Daddy, can we watch Foots in Boots? I love it. I'm not, I'm not going to correct her. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's great. It's great. It's, it's, I was never a huge fan of the Shrek movies or the Shrek-verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the first Puss in Boots movie, also pretty good. Like, better than Shrek stuff. Yeah. It's, I'm not even sure I ever saw the first Puss in Boots movie. Yeah. Maybe I did. I don't remember it very well, if I did. Anyway, this is... Um, this is great. It's it's uh, smart, swashbuckling. I, what I did like about the Shrek movies and what I do like about this movie is how it uses our shared knowledge of fairy tales uh, as a jumping off point to kind of subvert that those expectations and make some mm-hmm. funny, um, take those characters in places. Like, for example, in this movie, Goldilocks and the Three Bears are uh, thieves. Like, they go and steal stuff because Goldilocks basically walked into the bear's house and tried to steal their porridge. So it makes sense that they all like team up and become thieves now. And so they're very, uh, you know, cockney, like, uh, like some, out of, um, you know, lock stock and two smoking barrels or something, you know, they're like, you know, she, Goldilocks <laughs> yeah, is this yeah. harsh, uh, you know, jewel thief or whatever. Um, very fun stuff. And, and voiced by Florence Pugh, by the way. Yeah. This Florence movie Pugh, is yeah. Doing stacked. the rock and the cockney. Um, also, uh, I think Devinter mentioned this when he brought it up. They very much liberally uh, borrow from the uh, uh, Into the Spider Verse style mm-hmm. animation um, in in sequences. Like the most of the movie is not that, but then it gets into an action sequence, and it has that very stylized, um, you know, leaving frames out that that style that uh, Into the Spider Verse kind of pioneered in these big budget three D animated movies. Um, and it does it really, really well. It, the action sequences are phenomenal. They're really well done. And it, it's cool how it just shifts into this completely different style, this sort of painterly, um, uh, staccato, kind of uh, very ramped up uh, action style. And it does it a number of times. And every time it's visually stunning, really well choreographed, such fun. Um, so yeah, I, I thought Puss in Boots, The Last Wish was uh, really great. I mean, it doesn't, it's not in the league of Sea Beast, in my opinion. I think Sea Beast is head and shoulders still above of it. But it's um, great fun, really, really clever, um, funny, smart. Uh, a good, a good watch with my kids, and my kids very much enjoyed watching. In fact, I'm nice. I'm very glad to say, guys, I purchased this instead of nice. renting it. What? Yes. Yeah, because you will be watching it. Because I, uh, I think it was like times. it was like twenty five dollars to purchase and twenty dollars to rent or something yeah. like that, right? Or around there. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you why, Dave. Uh, not only did I suspect that if it was good, my kids would want to watch it over and over and over again, which is the case. But I also knew, ain't no way we're getting through this in one sitting. <laughs> yes. Also true. Also true. You can't rent a kids movie. No. Yeah. Like the, not e- not the, all anyway. bets are off as to when we will actually finish this thing. So best buy it and not be like, "Hey kids, we got forty eight hours to finish this," or whatever it because, is. Because Daddy Apple says so. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the first five minutes of this movie, I think, are online. So just just to get a sense of like the action and just like how good it looks, uh, you can check that out. Yeah, the first five minute action sequence is rad. It's so fun. I've heard this is great. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Hopefully when it doesn't cost $25. Um, <laughs> but uh, one day soon. Maybe I'll use my AMC Stubbs A-list on it. Okay, Jeff, what else are you watching? Uh, I also checked out a new stand-up special. I always like to bring up uh, great stand-up specials that I'm enjoying. And I'm a huge fan, as I know you are, Dave, of uh, 
of stand-up. Uh, I think, I'm gonna have to really, really think about this, but my, I'm inclined to say, if not my favorite stand-up right now, probably at least in my top three stand-ups working right now, is Nate Bargatze. And I, I just, wow. he is phenomenal. And he's, he works clean, like he tells stories. He's just one of my top, I don't know, I, Mike Birbiglia would be up there. Patton Oswalt would be up there. I'd be hard to narrow it down to three, but he is certainly up there, Nate Bargatze. And he has a brand new stand-up special called Hello World uh, that is on Amazon? Can't remember where it's on. Anyway, Nate Bargatze's Hello World. It's great, uh, predictably great. He is so funny. Uh, observational story. He's, he's just, he tells stories from his life. Uh, and he tells them in such... And he is often... Um, as, as I was talking about uh, Philomena Kunk, he's often, you know, paints himself as as the dumb one. You know, he he tells these stories and how how dumb he was in, in certain moments. And it's very charming. And again, you know, he always works clean, um, which is very rare these days and something I admire because if you can make somebody laugh without resorting to shocking them or, or you know, titillating them or whatever, uh, I think that's a, a level of uh, difficulty that is uh, to be admired. And he he does it. He's consistent. Home runs, home runs. All of his specials are worth watching. Hello World uh, is is great. It's the newest. Cool. And yeah, that is on Prime Video. And by the way, the last movie that Jeff was talking about was uh, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, which is available right now on video on demand. That's what Jeff Kanata has been watching. Devin, your heart, or what have you been watching? I went to the theater to see a freaking Bollywood movie, which is. Very strange. Like, first of all, um, I don't really watch many at home. Not, not, I grew up with these movies. I grew up with Shah Rukh Khan and a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I watch them with my parents. I don't really seek them out on my own too much. But I rushed out to the theater to see Pathan, which is this new uh, spy action movie starring Shah Rukh Khan, um, who has basically, he hasn't been, he hasn't done a movie in a while, I think since 2018. And that's like a huge freaking deal. Our friend Scott Mendelson got into a lot of trouble this weekend. Once again, whatever this guy says, like just really always gets him in hot water. I love him. I love him. But uh, he compared Shara Khan to Tom Cruise, which I think to Western audiences is probably a fair comparison given how big he is. But uh, South Asian Twitter like blew up and just like tore Scott apart because I would say arguably Shara Khan is bigger than Tom Cruise. Like he is a phenomena. He is a religion, right? Like, Tom Cruise used to be like we still talk about him as a movie star, but I, Tom Cruise is not near the height of his power. Right? I mean, the height of his religion. powers was like, well, <laughs> that is his own religion. Um, but it's not him, right? It's a whole separate thing. Shara Khan, a guy best known for romantic films, uh, romantic dramas. Um, he he has been around forever. He is like Hollywood mainstay. And then a couple of years ago, he was like, you know what? No more ram romance movies. I'm done. And then uh, we started hearing like, oh, he's prepping for an action movie. And Shah Rukh Khan has never really done a full-on action movie. And Pathan is basically his debut as new super buff action movie Shah Rukh Khan. And I uh, have to say this movie is a lot of fun. Um, I think you guys would like it, Dave, in particular. I think you'd appreciate it because it is a big, silly spy action movie that brings in so much of what we love from the Mission Impossible movies. There are direct nods to Mission Impossible 2 in here. There, There is a motorcycle chase and people shielding themselves by riding on the opposite side of the motorcycle. Uh, there are crazy um, you know, situations where they have to break into a place that feels a lot like the new Mission Impossible movies. And... I saw a lot of parallels, guys. Like, Shere Khan 
not a young guy. He's 57 years old. Wow. And to see him in this movie with rippling muscles, an eight pack, like he looks ridiculous. And I just can't help but think of like what Tom Cruise has been doing, right? In in his late stage Mission Impossible movies where he knows he's not as young as he used to be, but he still wants to like prove he can be an action star. And I just feel that here. So those parallels, and I think Scott even dove into a little of those in, in some of his, in his article this weekend. Um, I think that's interesting. Seeing him, seeing Shah Rukh Khan as a 57-year-old man just trying to go all-out action, doing a lot of sequences on his own. There's a lot of like hand-to-hand stuff. Um, he is going against a bad guy. Uh, so Shah Rukh Khan is like an exiled secret agent because, of course, they all have to be. And uh, India has to bring him back in to, to stop a, ter- a terrorist played by John Abraham. John Abraham, also a guy who's been in Bollywood movies forever, 50 years old has even more abs than Shara Khan. It is ridiculous. Can, we, so can these guys just I, settle down, stop, for, please? Stop, please. There's at least one scene where I'm pretty sure Shara Khan was like, I'm just going to be fully dehydrated. I really want the veins. <laughs> like, you know, mu- muscle people, you know, people who work out do this a lot for the photo shoots, right? So that they, they look as ripped as possible. There's at least like one or two scenes where it feels like Shara Khan did that as, as much as he could. Um, but to see these guys who are, over 50 years old, uh, duking it out, uh, often shirtless. Um, it's a lot of fun. And it really contains like everything I love from sillier action movies. Like this is more triple X three, the return of Xander Cage. And in fact, <laughs> Dapika Padukone, who was in that movie is also in this movie. So this, uh, this made it feel almost like a bit of a follow-up to that. There is also a motorcycle chase that, uh, goes to areas where motorcycles shouldn't go. And that feels like a direct nod to triple X three. Basically, if you've liked the action movies we've been talking about here, um, I, I think you guys will dig this movie. And I would recommend seeing it in a theater if you can. I was shocked to see, like, at my local Regal, which um, I think because of the huge uh, South Asian population around me, um, has a ton of Indian movies. They gave this the RPX screen. They kicked Whoa. Avatar off the big screen to put on Pathan. I had to go see it just because of that. So it's a great big screen experience. If you can't see it in theaters, you know, go ahead. There are a couple of songs. There's one song in the middle where it's like, hey, guys, if you, if you can, you know, if you want to see tons of action, I think you can stand one musical number. I think you'll be fine. Um, but it, this movie is a lot of fun. It's really silly in the way that Con Air was silly. Like there are certainly scenes where Shah Khan, when he's first getting introduced, like his, his long hair is blowing in the wind while he's indoors in a warehouse, you know, like it's so con air, it's so silly action, but also stuff I really enjoy. And I think it's really well-made and really inventive. So check it out if you can. If you like big spy action movies, Pathan is definitely worth a watch in theaters if you can. Very cool. Um, I, one of my favorite TikTok creators, Sydney uh, Volpe, I think she's seen this movie three times in theaters already. Oh, and, wow, yeah. Uh, I've heard it's great. I've heard it's a lot of fun. So yeah. I'm hoping to check it out. It's it's also part of a cinematic universe mm. of spy movies. So mm. something the Mission Impossible movies haven't even done yet. But it is that is fun to see how it all connects together, guys. Everyone's doing it, it turns out. All right, that's Pathan. It's available in uh, theaters right now. And yeah, it's about to cross, I think, $15 million at the box office. Um, so it's doing quite well in mm-hmm. the United States. All right, guys, since we're running a little bit low on time, I will just say one thing that I've been watching this week. And that is, speaking of rippling muscles... I watched a Netflix reality television show called Physical 100. Have you guys heard of this show? Has this been served up to you? Oh, Physical yes. Physical 100? I've, I've, I've watched the, uh, 
whatever they play as you sit yeah, in the, the menu. Auto, the autoplay trailer. Yeah, I've watched yeah. that like 15 times. Mm-hmm, you know? I, mm-hmm. Not enough to actually push play on it, but I certainly enjoy the autoplay of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, this is like if they did Squid Game for real. Yeah. But without, I mean, it's it's when I say Squid Game, I mean... Uh, there's they two components everyone. of it. There's two there's two components of it that are similar. One is it uh, physical 100 and also Squid Game take place in South Korea, and also uh, they both force a bunch of contestants to compete in increasingly physically challenging trials in order to win a cash prize. In the case of physical 100, the number one winner gets uh, two hundred forty thousand dollars or so. Well, isn't that um, isn't the I mean based. Based on my intense watching of the autoplay, yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't the premise here that like who is actually yes uh, has the advantage? Someone with an incredibly huge physique, or someone with a small yeah. physique, or like what is your physicality? Correct. How does correct. that play like, into the, the, whether... the ostensible premise of the show? You know, which is like you know a little bit silly, is like what is the perfect human body? Basically? Yeah, as as defined by whether you can get through these ridiculous games that we're going to subject. That's the way to, we right? define perfect human <laughs> bodies. Yeah, yeah. So they invite. I mean, just the first episode is wild because basically they invite one hundred of the most physically fit people in South Korea into this competition, and the way they have them all meet each other is there is a room that has one hundred like plaster casts of every one of their bodies. Yeah, they're tor- just their torso, right? Just their torsos. Yeah. Just their torsos. And so you walk in and everyone needs to like find their torso. Find the your room. body. <laughs> find your find your torso. And uh and then it, it's like they have people from all walks of life, right? So there's a guy who's like literally the strongest weightlifter in South Korea. Like he's lifted more, he can lift the most weight. There's a person who's like special forces. You know, and there's someone who's like, I'm the best sniper in South Korea. There's somebody who's like, I'm the best female boxer in South Korea. There's someone who's like, I'm the best dancer in South Korea. Let me just tell you guys, I have never felt more out of shape in my entire life than watching this show. <laughs> mm. I mean, I know how you feel after watching Pippa. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I've watched other, you know, I've watched like American Gladiator and other things over time, you know, like, but I think I, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to admit my biases. The fact that these were all Asian people made me realize, man, that is a body type that I could theoretically achieve <laughs> and simply do not. You know, that message hit home for me in a way that it never did. Yeah, this when is I was the same week, other... by the way, that we're rewatching all the Magic Mike movies as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, the Magic Mike movies, they don't uh-huh. make me feel as bad uh. as when I watch Physical 100, right? Um, and that's just, that, that's about my biases. You know, that, this is what representation is really about. It's about making you feel bad yeah, that you are not super cut. Yeah, like you want to you want to see yourself up on there this, on the <laughs> screen so you can feel bad. Yeah, that's correct. That's absolutely correct, Jeff. That's absolutely right. Thank you, thank you for that. Um, anyway, uh, it, it is the show is wild. Um, I, I don't know why they haven't made an American equivalent. Probably because it would be illegal. Is my guess? Like some of the so, because the stuff they ask people to do is like seems like it would be really physically damaging. I mean, they do that stuff on American TV too. But like, um, you know, I don't know what the liability laws in South Korea are compared to to the United States. But like the first trial is uh, there's like a bunch of bars overhead that oh, and then the ground beneath you opens up into this pool, and it's like. You need to hang onto these bars as long as humanly possible. Whoever survives until the last moment um, will receive an advantage for the actual first trial. <laughs> and it's actually fascinating because you you like have your assumptions about who might 
survive, right? And and sometimes the assumptions are proven wrong, you know? I feel like um, you could hang on to some bars for if you're super fit for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, and that was shocking too, is like how quickly some people fell off, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, and then the next test is something they call the death match, uh, where they would fight, the people would fight one-on-one to hold on to a like volleyball uh, type object and whoever's holding on to it at the end of three minutes wins. And so it's like that kind of stuff. And every single time they have a game, like a significant portion of them is eliminated very much like squid game. Um, so it's fascinating. It's really compelling watching. Um, it's a little rough around the edges from a reality show perspective, but uh, I mean, you're watching some of the most fit people on the planet fight each other. <laughs> For real. And um, there's just something inherently compelling about that. I've watched two episodes. There's eight episodes total. For your entertainment. Yeah. I'm probably going to go all the way to the end, but that's physical 100. I'll sit here on the couch. I'll have my Cheetos and I will watch <laughs> the fittest humans fight for my entertainment. It's just it's just amazing to look at some of these physical specimens, though, because there's like one guy who's, you know, another guy says to one of the guys like, your upper arm is literally as wide as my whole head. <laughs> and it's accurate. Like you, it's accurate. It's you a, look at it. It's like this guy's arm is larger than this guy's head. Like no exaggeration. It's a good pickup um, line. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, physical 100 fascinating television. Check it out on Netflix. That is what we've been watching this week. Let's get to some weekly plugs. <laughs> Weekly Plugs, a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I want to plug my newsletter, Decoding Everything. It's free for everyone. Check it out at decodingeverything.com. Uh, last week, I wrote about my favorite films from Sundance of 2023. Uh, I expanded on the thoughts that I shared during the podcast. And you should check it out at decodingeverything.com. That's my weekly plug. Devinder Hardwell, what's your weekly plug? Oh, I'm out for the next few weeks, um, or at least this week. But I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast where they talked about all of Samsung's new stuff. So that's the Galaxy S23 and the Ultra. And we also they also reviewed the Apple, the new Apple HomePod. So go check that out. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. Uh, I do that with Anthony Carboni. Uh, and it's good fun. Uh, we just did uh, an episode that I think uh, people might enjoy. It answers a really interesting question. How many people have ever lived since the dawn of people? Huh. How many people have ever lived? Another way to ask that is what's the population of the dead? Mm. Mm. We yeah. dig into it. Check it out at wehaveconcerns.com. I, I've seen that like calculation before where you go back, right? You, you're the product of two parents, four grandparents, right? And then their parents, there's like, what, uh, eight of them and then 16 of them. And eventually, if you keep multiplying by two, you get numbers that are too large to have actually existed on Earth. For, for sure. Um, and so, and also, it's like, when do you when do you stop? Like, what species of uh, humanoid? Right, right. But, counts but, but point, point yeah. being, like, at some point, like people who were related to each other, um, <clears throat> you know, uh -huh. ended up helping to produce you at some point. So, yeah. it's fascinating to think about. Fascinating to think about. And. Uh, you should check out Jeff's episode about it. We have concerns.com. Uh, I want to just plug the podcast, of course, patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can support the show, sign up for ad free episodes and or exclusive after darks. Of course, you can always support us for free uh, by leaving a review for us on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast or sharing about us on social media. We really do appreciate it. We never want anyone to donate to us. If it in any way causes them financial hardship this week on the after dark magic, Mike one and two we'll be talking about. So look forward to that. 
All right, folks, that's going to bring us to our review of Knock at the Cabin. Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. But my heart is broken. Why is it broken? Because of what I have to do today. Welcome to the Filmcast review of Knock at the Cabin, the newest film by M. Night Shyamalan. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. While vacationing, a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse, end quote. Devin, your heart of war, we are obviously big fans of the M. Night here on the podcast. It's We're complicated. <laughs> I feel like it's the feeling. Of all the directors we talk about, like I have the most complex feelings towards him. Yeah. He is in the process of, in my opinion, completing one of the greatest comebacks in director history. Sure. And this is a guy who made uh, a, a, a trio of movies that were so terribly received that they threatened to kill his career entirely. Yeah. Uh, Lady after, in the after being one of the biggest like, yeah, after deals. being one of the biggest, like the next yeah. coming of Steven Spielberg kind of thing. You know, Lady in the Water, The Happening, and The Last Airbender, right? Those three movies, it was like, it was questionable whether he would make another movie after that. Um, he did direct After Earth as well, um, but that also didn't go quote, well. Quote, unquote, direct, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then he started self-financing his own movies. He's like, I'm putting up my own money. He made The mm -hmm. Visit, Split, Glass, Old. Every single one of those movies I just named was a financial success. Bringing it costs us, very little. And it costs so, relatively little. Bringing yeah. us today to Knock at the Cabin, which is based off of the book Cabin at the End of the World. So Better title, in my opinion. Yeah, mm. yeah. So with all that being said... Divin Yohardo, what did you think of Knock at the Cabin? I think this movie is is mostly great. And I think it is a wonderful return of like M. Night at his full powers. You know, like there's a home. This movie basically centers around a home invasion. And I was thinking like a lot of his films actually, actually involve that. And he has been very good at producing those things and making us feel terrified by them. So I'm thinking of signs and this movie actually has a lot in common with signs, honestly, yeah. thematically it seems like a sequel to it, um, but also unbreakable that like horrific, um, you know, the, the guy who breaks into the house and takes over the family thing. Um, so this movie is just really well-made. I like so much about it. My main thing is that uh, I don't feel like it amounts to much. I feel like it builds up a lot. I feel like we're introduced to all these characters. Um, and it ends at the point where it's like, huh, okay, we're doing this. That's interesting. And then I don't feel like there's any real symbolic um, meaning to it. Like, it just feels very matter of fact and very, very blunt and very, I don't know. If it, if it just feels very, like, on the nose about what it's trying to say. And I would like more mystery there for a guy who has basically, you know, been so good at creating mystery thrillers for us. I think old, um, I really enjoyed that movie. Like despite the problems I had around the ending and other issues with that thing, the experience of watching old and seeing his craft at work was exhilarating. And I had a lot of that here too. I just feel like by the end, I'm like, ah, I was, I was waiting for something a little more, something a little th that didn't feel as much like deus ex machina type stuff. Um, but we will talk about that in spoilers. I think overall though, like this is a, a successful movie. It's worth seeing in theaters. And once again, Dave Batista proves he's the best wrestler turned actor. 
<laughs> Sorry, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Sorry, Hulk Hogan. Sorry, <laughs> Kevin Nash. Sorry, Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> Nobody else. We won't be talking about anybody else. Harry Andre the Giant. Yeah. Wow. Oh, don't Harsh. go at Andre oh, like that. That one's sad. That one's sad. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Knock at the Kevin? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about Knock at the Cabin are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Do tell. M. Knight is supreme at suspense. His direction makes every scene tense. But my assessment depends on how it all ends. And in this case, I'm still on the fence. Mm. I agree mm. almost 100% with what Devendra said. I think this is a really incredible movie that just sort of fizzles out at the end. Mm -hmm. Sort of lands there. That, oh, that that was that? Why did we go through that exactly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What does it all mean? What is, what is it all? Is it really? It's just, uh, okay. All right. That's that's all? I, I guess we. I looked around at the audience like, I guess we all go home now. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. It, it. Yeah. And it's such a bummer because... It's an incredible experience. It's harrowing. It is taut. It is intense. It is inc it is uh, an amazing virtuoso class in creating suspense, creating moment to moment. Oh my God, what would I do? Oh my God, this is and doing it in unlikely ways. Right, people who are extremely polite. <laughs> I I love. I love how this movie unfolds and you keep going, oh my gosh, wow, what's it all gonna mean? What's it all gonna, what's gonna happen? And then you get to the end and for me it was, oh, okay. The, I mean, the movie is very short, very brisk. Uh, it, it, it almost could be a play. It is uh, mm -hmm. very uh, contained and, and it really does a lot with a little, but then it sort of amounts to only a little as well instead of a lot, which I was what I was hoping for. Mm -hmm. And it's a bummer. It's a bummer because uh, I, I was kept waiting for something more interesting to amount from all of the uh, internal uh, uh, intensity that I was feeling, all of the, mm -hmm. all of the, uh, the stuff that I went through. I'm, I went through something in this movie. It's not easy. It's a hard movie. Especially if, you know, somebody who has kids and like. Yeah. It's a big child in peril movie. And yes. That's rough. Yeah. And, and I kept going, oh, you know, I'm in it. I'm doing this. I'm I, I'm not resisting this. I'm, you know, I, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm, but by the end I go, that's really all it was for. <laughs> yeah. Um, slightly different reaction, but very similar to what you guys felt. I think that when it comes to creating suspense, M. Night still shows he's one of the best. Like, in terms of understanding where to put the camera, how to position figures on the screen, how to create iconic imagery, um, how to edit, how to, like, cut the sequence and pacing of cuts to make it so you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm on the edge of my seat. Mm -hmm. He knows when to hold the camera there. He knows when to, like, make a rapid cut. Um, I mentioned iconic imagery. There's at one point they're, like, there's, like, a white... Hood, white hood that comes yeah. into play at some point in ways yeah. that I'm not going to explain how, but I'm, like, I'm just like, that's like an iconic image. That's like a very visually striking image. Very simple. Very simple. You don't need like a lot of, and I don't know if exactly if that was in the book, but like whatever the case is, in the movie, it's really effective. Mm -hmm. uh, put, put together with a great performance from Rupert Grint, by the way. And oh, Rupert people, Grint's amazing. In this I see movie, people yeah. shouting him out in this movie, like, go yeah. watch Servant. He's yeah. also He's wildly yeah. fun in Servant. Yeah. 
So love all that. Like every scene, of, I'm like many scenes. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm like my, my I can feel my heart beating through yes. my chest, you know, yes. like watching this movie. Um, and so as a thriller, it's like pretty successful. But I agree with you guys that the ending is extremely disappointing for a wide variety of reasons. And so we can't really talk about this movie without talking about the ending. Um, so anything else we want to shout out before we get to spoilers? I, I do want go ahead. Sorry, just real quick to pick up on that point. It, it's, it's not like when you talk about most M night endings, mm -hmm. right? You, you go, Oh, the ending, you have to talk about an M night movies ending. It's like, well, not, Yes, in this case, but not for the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> not not quite a twist. Perhaps. Yeah. Well, let's let's yeah. let's, let's wait until we get to spoilers yeah. before we talk. One about it, one but. thing I do want to mention: I think the dialogue in this movie and the way I, people actually speak are are good, and that's something we could not always uh, commend on M Night movies. And he shares screenwriting credit on this movie, and I'm, yeah. I I hope to see him working together more with people to kind of. Uh, I, I think he's better as a visual you know, a uh, creator. I think his, his camera style, everything we're talking about visuals are great. I think his words have always been kind of messy. So I would love to see him like keep collaborating with people. So to let him focus on his strengths, you know, I mean, while we're picking nits, uh, I, I know that you're actually praising the dialogue. So, but I'll say mm -hmm. that I am begging M night <laughs> to make his news broadcast more authentic in his movie. Sure. Yeah. They, they are, they're such a critical part of all of his movies, like all old, of his movies, old yeah. the happening, like every single one of his movies has like newscasts in them. And most of the time they rip me out of the movie. Cause I'm like, that doesn't look real. Yeah. Well, um, sometimes Pert happily appears, you know, <laughs> it, 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 it's just like, it's, if you're, if you're going to make it an important part of the movie, which it is in this case, you really need to like put in a little bit more work to make it feel like an actual news broadcast. And I know yeah, he's working yeah. with limited budget and he's, he's spending his own money to make these movies. But like, Still, um, I think uh, I think he could improve that part. Yeah. Of it. Okay. There, there's no verisimilitude around his his news footage, basically, and that yeah, always rips us out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A and and it's particularly important in this film for reasons <laughs> we'll get into momentarily. So, okay, uh, well, let's talk about spoilers for Knock at the Cabin starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, let's talk about spoilers. So, uh, uh, we, we will start by saying that the big twist of this M. Night Shyamalan movie. Mm -hmm. Is that there is no twist. It, literally, <laughs> yeah. four people come to the yep. to the everything cabin, they say is true, and yeah. they say, "Hey, if you don't do this thing, the world's going to end." And everything they say is true, and that is borne out as of the end of the film, as mm -hmm. of the end of the movie, right? So that's kind of the the quote unquote big twist. Now, yep. I have a lot of thoughts about the ending, but Jeff, uh, it sounded like you you had a specific angle on like why you thought this particular ending didn't quite do it for you. Well, you know. It, it 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 it's disappointing that it just it just happens and you you have this yeah. this guy who decides to make a sacrifice the the notion of so i'm of two things i'm of two minds like the notion of what are you willing to sacrifice to save people you've never met are you willing to sacrifice people that you love to to for people that you've never met that is a compelling idea. It's not new. It's compelling. Also, the notion of 
how do if you had to convince someone of something that sounded crazy in order to save the world, yeah, how yeah. would you go about it? That is an extremely compelling idea as well. Like, what do you do to convince someone something that sounds patently ridiculous? What do you do? Yeah. Like, those two notions are great dramatic hooks. I, I love hanging a story on that. Yeah. On those, either of those, but yeah. both of them together. It's amazing. Agreed. But we get to the end and it's just like, oh, well, this guy decided to do it. And I mean, we literally have this ridiculous scene in the car where they hear the song come on and both of them are just sort of like, yeah, he did it. And like, what is, what are we supposed to take away from that? Also, yeah. there's all kinds of, I mean, it's, a, it's an ending that, asks more questions than it answers, mm. which isn't always a bad thing. But in this case, I think it is a bad thing because I felt like the movie just sidesteps a whole lot of big questions that are pretty interesting. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I feel like it, it's maybe too pat, right? Like, well, he did the sacrifice and God's happy. And that's the end of that chapter. Well, also, <laughs> and that's the end of that chapter. It bothers me yeah. this notion of like, what are we supposed to take away from this? Yes. Like any yeah. God that would need this to happen is kind of a douchebag. Yeah. You know, like, so the, yeah, go ahead. Jeff. The, go the ahead. idea that like, what am I even supposed to think about the premise by the, like if, if, if the end is like, yeah, no, every so often, very nice people need to do something awful to appease God. Yep. I think there are interesting ways to approach this or to even wrestle with it. And I, yes. I don't think this movie even does that. Like, I, I think you can both have the, well, looks like God is real and what they're saying is true and having somebody be like, well, this God sucks. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, just approach it that way. Um, or, or, you know, the, yeah. the, make, make it into a metaphor. I thought that the movie was kind of going to try to arrive at a metaphor of, you know, the sort of God works in mysterious ways notion of, you know, awful things happen to good people. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, is, is there a metaphor to be found in, you know, these awful things that have to happen to decent human beings? There's a there's some sort of reason for it or some some sort of necessity yeah. that so we can feel comfort. Like I thought, oh my gosh, we're gonna get to the point where like this was all a a a notion that it was was manifested to describe this horrible tragedy that happened to this. Like, well, I had to believe that my husband died for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. But no, the movie's just not uninterested in all that. It, 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 there is yeah, yeah. no second layer to anything. It's literally just like, no, God demands you die. So you did. Bye-bye. Yeah. yeah. The, the most charitable reading I have of the ending is this idea of... um like by having a child, you must give up a part of yourself or your personhood or your life in order to like continue, you know, yes, you know, passing like in order to continue the next generations or whatever. That that I'm just taking a stab at like what yeah, I think yeah. that final confrontation between it's an idea. The two characters, you know, you're yeah. you're doing yeah. a lot of the heavy lifting there. Yes. The I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Now, now I have a lot to say, so I'm gonna. Devendra, I'll give you a chance before I launch into my soliloquy here. So do you have any? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a bunch of things to say, yeah. which is that I, there are interesting things to wrestle with here. And it seems sad that, you know, M. Night is just kind of unwilling to do it, which is sad for a guy who has always like wrestled with faith in his movies, like Signs, even Unbreakable is all about 
what what do you have faith in what do you believe in how does that shape your view of the world it's weird that this movie just really seems disengaged with that um so so i will say that like there you can both have this ending but also build up these characters in the way that you feel the loss of jonathan groff's character or you feel like why he decides to do what he did uh this movie hinted at him being kind of a believer like in in one of those flashback scenes they're like yeah you could pray i, I won't make fun of you but their their characters don't seem to really have much of an identity other than um you know it's important that this is a movie about a gay couple who has a child and the book is about that as well and i was trying to read into like okay so what does that really mean you know what are you trying to say with that and i think there's still a lot of criticisms there like i I see people especially in the lgbt community who are just like this movie seems really fucked up that it is doing that's basically putting this family in that situation um and it seems almost inexcusable in some ways I just wish it had more to say. Like the, uh, I don't know if you guys have looked up what the book ending was like. Um, I, I yeah, will that's, just... that's what I was going to talk about. So okay, let me okay. so let me let me, let me get let me get into it. Let me get into yeah. it. Okay, so, um, I grew up in the Christian church, right? For the first couple decades of my life, I was in the Christian church, and I was part of it long enough to remember there being a time. This is around the time when like civil unions were starting to be a thing. And uh, like gay marriage was not widespread at the time. Um, but there was a collective freak out in the church about gay couples adopting children, right? Um, that some would argue continues to this day, right? Um, that there's a, there's a significant portion of American society and, and probably societies around the world, I can only speak for America, that isn't okay with gay people adopting kids. Now, what possible justification could there be for that? I, yep. I just want to be clear. I personally um, think any act of adoption is a loving act. And I would never want to prevent anyone from adopting unless they're per, like placing a child in objective danger. Uh, but what possible justification could there be? right? And the, the answers to that question are outlandish and pretty ridiculous. It will unravel the social fabric. You know, it was something, something hard, like marriage as an institution will end like all these other, all these horrifying apocalyptic pronouncements. What this movie does is it takes that anxiety and puts it into the form of a a horror thriller. I think that's completely fine, admirable, intriguing. Like it's totally a legitimate approach to this kind of thing to take something that's like a real social anxiety and to make mm-hmm. it into a film it's how uh, a lot right? of horror movies work exactly and many of them are great many of them are great but we got to talk about how the book is different from the movie in order to really understand why this ending feels pretty weak right and honestly even the book one sounds pretty weak to me so well yeah. well yeah. so in the book basically what ends up happening is um, when is ac- the child is accidentally killed, right? And then basically everyone else also dies in the book. Um, and Andrew and Eric, the two people, need to decide, like, what are they going to do? Um, do they still sacrifice one of themselves? And one of them says this line of dialogue. Because uh, when dies by accident in a struggle. And, uh, and they're like, well, it's not good enough because you didn't, you didn't, intentionally kill when so the sacrifice is not good enough and andrew says quote focus on this they expect us to believe that when's death isn't a good enough sacrifice to their god so you know what fuck them and their god fuck them all end quote right the idea being that like 
if this if this child's death and this everything that happened is not enough, is this even a god worth trying to please? Right? A notion that, that message, movie never approaches. Exactly. Yep. It is yep. explicit in yep. the book. It's like exactly like what kind of god would allow this to happen, right? Or want it. And 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 uh, in the book, the planes cry. All the plagues happen kind of in similar fashion, but um, you don't know if the world actually ends, right? So what happens is like Eric and Andrew, I think the two characters, right? They decide whatever happens next, whether the world ends or not, we're gonna be in it together, and that's the ending of the book. Like you don't know whether or not the world actually ends. You don't know if the world's saved. That's where the ending is. In the movie, very different. I understand yeah. why they didn't want Wen to die because that would have been like. Horrifying for audiences. She's the movie too has, cute. She's by the too way, cute. Has a, yeah, she's yes. too cute. The movie has a C cinema score. Yeah. So a lot of people didn't like this movie, even though it's number one at the box office. In the movie, uh, they decide uh, that Jonathan Groff's character is going to sacrifice himself, right? And then mm-hmm. that solves everything. <laughs> the ending of the movie is that. Guess what? It's all. It's all, all solved. Millions of people died, but and, and you know we <laughs> are not everybody. <laughs> we are traumatized for life, but everything's going to be okay. Let's go back to um, church, everybody. And all's good. That weakens the whole, the teeth of mm-hmm. the movie a lot, in my opinion, because yes. in the book, it's like, it's very much an allegory for how, um, if you're a gay couple that has a kid, like, uh, m- f- what I understand from reading is that there's a lot, like there's this feeling of like, the world is not okay with your choices. Yep. And, the book manifests this anxiety into this horrifying situation. Um, and in the movie, the fact that they're a gay couple is somewhat important to the plot because one of the characters is like, I don't care if the world ends. They've treated us like shit. Like, and he probably yep. wouldn't feel that way quite the same way if he was straight. But And he's getting uh, over trauma. And like he's getting over trauma. Yeah, being I, mean, assaulted. I thought, yeah, but, I yeah. thought but, that but, actually worked pretty well, that, that, yeah. that notion of... You know, the, the they're right. coming here to do a, something very specific to us because of right, who right. we are. And I think it works from a plot perspective, but I don't think it works from a thematic perspective because Agreed. the movie doesn't yeah. land the ending, right? Like right. the movie doesn't have an ending that makes you feel like, oh, like this movie is making a statement about right. yep. what it's like to be gay and have a family in this world. Like well, it's there's not, also yeah. all this. The, the fact that they're gay is like largely incidental, and even the visitors are like, we're not, we didn't know you would be gay. Like, you know, yeah. this was random, well, right? Like, there's yeah. all this stuff about the the first guy to die, maybe being the person who assaulted him. He definitely Correct. was. Correct. Well, yeah, yeah well, yeah. We, it goes back and forth and back and forth. And, but it doesn't mean anything. Like the movie yeah. completely doesn't care about, which I think is a very interesting yep. notion is like the idea that the, the person... The, the person who is least suited for this job of convincing you to do this <laughs> right. is the person that was chosen to do that. That is fascinating. Yeah. And, and, but the movie just doesn't. Well, yeah. the, or, the movie uses it as, hey, maybe it's like a p- p- point yeah. of suspicion. Like maybe they're actually here to just terrorize us. They're right. Not, like mm-hmm. they're not here to actually do this mission. Right? Which was interesting. Um, but the, the once you know the truth, it's like the idea of, okay, God is putting this person, like the person who has been the source of your fears and the reason you own a gun, the reason you learn to box, you know, the, the conclusion is he basically, he was able to box out the guy who assaulted him and they never really fully explore that. And that right. coincidence seems seems like kind of something that could have been explored in, yeah, um, instead yeah. instead of it, it is that's what it is at yeah. the end of the day it's yeah. just a coincidence it's, it's just not a coincidence. like it's not like 
Um, and, and it's a it's a way to be like, oh, I'm suspicious of these people, as opposed to like, mm -hmm. wow, this is really deeply upsetting part or of why God meaningful did it. Events. God, God yeah, is yeah, do yeah, yeah God yeah. is doing it for a reason of yeah. being like, listen, this person is trying to prevent the world, but they're also the person who's done the most harm to you. In exactly. Your life. You know, exactly. will you will you ever trust them? One thing I will say is like, if they this ending could have worked if they had set it up better. Like if they had set up why Jonathan Groff feels the way they, he does. Uh, if they had set up the the struggle of like what God is actually doing. Um, just asking those questions i think would make it more interesting the other thing is that um i do feel like the uh the invaders the four horsemen which by the way this is a really interesting way to convey the horsemen of the apocalypse right like as aspects of humanity rather than like was it war famine the yeah. usual pestilence yeah. 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 yeah once you see the first that tidal wave uh you know on the pacific northwest uh, r.i.p dave sorry um you're gone. You're gone, buddy. How did they get that footage? Yeah, how did they get that footage? Once well, you see that, it's like, oh, I think they may be telling the truth or something. I don't know. Well, the, the, they do have that dialogue of like, yeah, oh, they yeah. clearly just timed it. And by the way, so that, by the way, I don't know if you guys have been there. That's Haystack Rock. It's a very mm -hmm. iconic rock in Portland. Uh-huh. Um, again, M Night, you know, with the live footage, like just just say like someone was live streaming it on someone Instagram live or something. something. Like yeah. have some yeah. kind of explanation for how they got the footage, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I would agree that like it's there's a lot of territory there that is unexplored, mm -hmm. and it's a shame. And I think you know M Night is a person of faith, and mm -hmm. uh, it's he, hard he, for me. He to was training to be a priest at one point. Like that was a goal in his life, apparently. So yeah, it's hard for me to view the way this movie ended up as. Um, as anything other than a watering down of kind of what the book is trying to say, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of the in terms of the ending. Yeah. Those um, those scenes, though, by the way, like that tidal wave, like that 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 is something I think about. Like I, I my family thinks about, like, hey, yeah. we we knew people around Seattle, like maybe we should go up there at some point. And in the back of my head, I'm like, a tidal wave is going to wipe that place out in hundred years. <laughs> there is uh, there is yeah. a lot of good data that shows that sometime within the next 30 years there's going to be a catastrophic earthquake in this area <sighs> so it's something so, I, it, it is something that. i think about all we the are, sequences we are fairly though, we are fairly yeah. earthquake prepared in my household but like not everyone are is. you what 100 yeah. foot tidal wave prepared prepared i don't know <laughs> i don't know about that all the sequences though I just want to know, like, the things the things done well like um batista talking with when early on even that first scene oh yeah so and, so like it frames well them done. so yeah. like uncomfortably close it's yeah. so you're it too gets closer and closer as they like start to connect more that is very weird and also all the killings i just want to point that out too like i think that's all he's technically a master at this stuff so when uh, rupert grint puts on the mask and like prepares for it like we're like what is happening here oh the weapons are for them the weapons aren't for you know yeah. the people being imprisoned that's horrifying and that's the stuff m night is still getting. yeah it's it's yeah. it's amazing like you see some of the teaser trailer like just like one of them standing in front of the other yeah. two and then like it's it's really harrowing stuff it's like m night at his best in my mm -hmm. opinion um I, I still like many things about the movie even if i don't like the kind of ultimate agreed message whatever yeah. that can be said to be you know um it's still really well made in a lot of ways i also um, love that there's no way to be kind and polite enough <laughs> if what you're saying is horrible it's like it's, it's true you, you just got to feel for batista's character because it's like man he's trying real hard to make this as pleasant as possible for them <laughs> you know? he's, he's yeah. a real nice guy he's a second grade teacher dave batista second grade kindergarten <laughs> cop 
He's like, I yeah. really hate to do this to you. Um, you uh, know, if, uh, please, if if you don't mind, just open the door. We'd love to just chat. A, a say. We will <laughs> knock it down if we have to. But we really, it's just, it's such an awesome take on that kind of a scene where, right, right. And you've never, I've never seen that before. Is this the super polite, super respectful, horrible thing that comes to the door? Totally, know? totally, totally. But yeah, I mean, the movie doesn't sit well with me for a lot of ways, right? Like, yeah. I've already covered how. Um, it's a movie in which these this gay couple, this gay family is like terrorized, right? And it's like, okay, that's fine. You know, I de- like um, hate crimes still happen in the United States. Ideally, if you're going to show that, like there's a really good justification. I don't think the movie lives up to that to start with. And then the other thing is uh, the these people like sound they're, like they're from QAnon or some conspiracy theorist. And right, of course, right, right. they're the ones that are proven to be right at the end. Yes. And that's not yes. quite what happens in the book. In the book, it's like a little bit more ambiguous. Like it's pretty clear that something's going on, planes crashing and all this stuff. But like it's it left ambiguous as to whether the world will end. In mm-hmm. the movie, it's unambiguous. They were 100% right. And I'm just very leery of work yeah. that like position. Yep. It's very much like our sick review from, from a couple weeks ago where like yeah. the people who in our society are like, probably the worst are framed to be the good guys in mm-hmm. the movie. It's it's a little and I don't I don't like that. I don't like my that, my so. final question by the way, why is this movie rated R? Why? The, all the violence horrific. is like they cut away as soon as the violence the, like it is very really it is pretty light happen. on violence, but you yeah. do see like um, you know, people's heads getting caved in and but I, I would agree with you it's very mm-hmm. tame for an R-rated movie. I've seen like, yeah, yeah, far harder They, they cut movies. away from a lot of the, the worst stuff. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Um, probably there's a lot of language in it though, if I recall correctly, there's probably mm-hmm. a lot of F words is my guess. So maybe that's t- that too. And M Knight's probably when he's self-financing these movies, like with his savings account, he's probably not like, how can I please the MPAA? You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, any other thoughts or shall we wrap it up there folks? That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's unsettling, but yeah. it's supposed to be. Yeah. But not this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's in both. It's unsettling in both ways. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is really impressive that M. Night Shyamalan made a movie. And that's going to bring us into this week's episode of The Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight and Varsity Blue. Our spoiler pepper comes fi- from filmmaker Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week on the podcast, it is going to be Magic Mike's Last Dance. What would cause Steven Soderbergh to make an incredibly successful movie, Magic Mike, not direct the second movie, Uh although he did with Cinematographer, and then decide like a decade later to come back to the franchise? I don't know. Maybe maybe he doesn't want that second movie to be the best one of the franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so, maybe so. But we're going to find out next week here on the Filmcast. See you then.